Hi everyone, welcome to our agribusiness podcast where we explore the challenges, trends and innovation happening in the agriculture industry in Canada. In today's episode, Heather Barnhouse, partner at Denton's in our Edmonton office, sits down with Allison Jackson, managing partner of Ernst & Young in Calgary, to talk about the big challenges facing the agriculture industry in Canada and some interesting solutions various stakeholders are bringing to the table. Welcome, Allison. It's so great to have you participate in our discussion. I'm looking forward to this uh, conversation. Yeah, sounds good, Heather. Just to get started, can you give our listeners some details about your personal background and how you came to be the office managing partner at EY? Oh, for sure. Uh, it's a long journey. I've been with EY for, I think, 24 years. And I really never intended to be here that long, but I just keep it interesting. So <laughs> definitely plan. Um, <laughs> I've worked in a few different offices across the country. We'll call it I grew up in the Kitchener Waterloo office. I moved out to the Edmonton office after about seven years in KW. I was in Edmonton for two years. I absolutely fell in love with uh, the West, we'll call it. I wanted to stay. Uh, the firm had other plans for me, and so I did move back to Kitchener-Waterloo for about five years and then put my hand up and said I'd like to head back west, and at that time the opportunity was in Calgary. So I'm a tax partner by trade, and I moved to Calgary uh, um, in that capacity. A couple years after that, I had the opportunity to become the tax lead, call it, for a region of the West. And then three years ago, I became the managing partner in Calgary. So I like the combination of tax, which is a narrow and deep area, and then the managing partner, which of course is very broad. Yeah, well, that's a very exciting, um, you know, exciting pathway. And you've seen lots of the country and you know that the West is best. So that, uh, you know, <laughs> brings you brings you back. So that's good. And we were chatting just before we start, started recording that your practice and mine overlaps in some ways with some of the tax planning and the, the structuring that we do for clients. So we kind of speak the same same geeky language, but maybe we'll we'll keep that uh, kind of hidden for, for the rest of our conversation. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, our organization, so Denton's and EY, recently participated at the AgSmart conference. Um, where there was lots of cool ideas, technologies, and, and concepts that were discussed as they relate to potential agriculture plays in Alberta or, or more generally in, in the West. And I wanted to focus a little bit on the agriculture play uh, in this province. And I had a few questions for you in that space. First, how important is the agriculture industry in Canada, both domestically and internationally? Yeah. That's a great question and one that um, has a number of different answers. So I'll give you uh, an answer that has a mix of kind of a personal perspective and mm, some, some numbers and a little bit of bias. So for personal background, I grew up in the country. So I, mm. I grew up working on local farms uh, from a very young age and I've always had those rural roots at the core of who I am. So there's the bias that comes out. Yeah. Um, from an economic perspective, the latest measures I've seen would suggest that the ag food spectrum employs about 2.1 million people. So one in oh. nine jobs in Canada is significant. It represents around 
Yeah, 6.8% of our Canadian GDP. Wow. Um, and when I look at the U.S., they're around 5%. So we're, you know, not quite one and a half times, relatively speaking, but it's a big part of who we are in Canada. Right. Um, and then you mentioned international, and I'd say internationally, I think we are blessed for the most part with some great trade relationships and trade agreements. So all of the good stuff that we're doing in Canada, meaning we've got fantastic resources, we've got people committed to the sector, um, we've you know got food security as a result of it. We're able to export those to the rest of the world for the most part, like I say. Right, so it's right. a significant sector for all of us. Yeah, interesting. And we're certainly seeing, certainly in my practice, we're seeing more, um, I don't know, technologies or innovation and ideas that are re related directly to ag, but also sort of indirectly. So maybe there's some innovation or there's some technology that has been invented and is used in a particular sector that can also be applied or repurposed um, to agriculture. And so I think that there's, there's, there's some movement towards you know, including that and, and um, uh, you know, thinking about how that would apply both domestically, sometimes that applies more particularly domestically or internationally. So depending on, you know, how it's, how it's used, I think there's an opportunity there as well. Well, and one of the things I didn't stay, state in my uh, kind of introduction of myself, I'm also a board member um, at Alberta Innovates. And oh. one of the work streams or one of the focus areas of Alberta Innovates is the ag sector. Because oh, as you say, there's so much happening there and there's yeah. so much that's relevant to cross borders, to cross sectors, that kind of thing. So that's an area that's definitely near and dear to my heart. Interesting. That that leads actually, and you can answer this question wearing your hat as a board member from Alberta Innovates or from your, um, you know, your position at, at EY or both or like generally from whatever you want. Um, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on what the trends are, like at a high level, what are the trends that, that we're seeing in agriculture? And I just alluded briefly to the fact that we're maybe in the legal side starting to see some licensing of technologies in maybe different different domains from how they were first, um, you know, contemplated. But what what are you seeing, again, from Albert Innovates or from EY or both in terms of the trends of where things seem to be going? Yeah, that, that's a great observation. And I think ultimately uh, we're going to talk a whole bunch about technology today because it really is one of those key trends. But before we get to technology, I would say that there are probably three key trends that lead us there. One is talent. So yeah. generally, uh, labor issues related to pandemic disruption, um, uh, just general availability or escalating cost of labor. So that's one. And yeah. of course, ag is not unique in dealing with that challenge, Correct. but programs like temporary foreign workers are heavily relied upon by the ag sector and disruption has really exposed the talent right. issues there. So that's one. Um, secondly, sustainability. Again, not unique to ag, but there are some uniqueness, so minimizing waste or optimizing resources and the efficiency of, of inputs into the ag cycle. So again, some uniqueness to that sustainability theme. And then third, I would say, uh, certainly exacerbated by the Russia-Ukraine conflict, but just mm. generally the performance of the sector, the mm. ability to feed a growing world. 
and, and technology links into all of these because of course technology can be used to reduce the need for labor. Technology sure. can be used to optimize the use of resources, including inputs. Um, and then technology can definitely be used to enhance performance with, you know, everything from disease surveillance and pest control to yield performance. And again, coming back to nutrient and, and water management. So yeah. lots of issues and ultimately technology hopefully is the solution. The, yeah, it's the way, it's maybe the way out, right? In terms of yeah. uh, some of the some of the challenges that we're seeing. It's interesting, this is a, a, a sort of indirect observation, um, but I work primarily with women entrepreneurs who are growing and scaling their companies. And that means a lot of different things that can mean going to new jurisdictions and taking on partners or getting VC funding or, you know, a bunch of things like that. And one of the observations that I've noticed for a long time is that in the in women-owned businesses, they often, this is a complete generalization, of course, but they often will start in their entrepreneurial journey providing or making service-based businesses, so providing some form of a service. And then they get really good at that. They become very experienced and they, they think about all the things that you've just talked about. How do I penetrate new markets? How do I optimize my talent? How do I reduce inefficiencies? How do I streamline operations? And often the answer in a service-based business is they find a tech solution that helps them do some of those things. And so some of them say, oh, I'm going to you know, take this technology and I'm going to license it in and that will help improve my business. And sometimes they say, I sure wish there was this technology solution that I could implement, but there isn't one. So then they go and they invent that. And then mm -hmm. they, they, they shift and they move away from, or, or in addition to the service-based business, they now have this sort of passive income stream in the form of technology that complements um, their service-based business and makes them more efficient and reduces their inefficiencies. But in addition, it's, it's, whole, it's a whole other sort of stream of, of revenue or a, a stream of opportunities uh, in the form of this technology. And I feel like what you've just commented on in terms of technology is the, the answer is the solution is very applicable in this agriculture sector that we're talking about. There's lots of uh, tried and true methods of how you would perform things or how you would you know, run your business. But with the advent of technology, there's new opportunities, just like I'm seeing in women-owned businesses around the service provision, there's new opportunities to incorporate technology to make them more efficient, to you know, reduce some inefficiencies, to reduce the supply or the reliance uh, on a particular you know, labor force or overcome some of those things. And so I think that maybe is part of why so many of my women-owned businesses are in that ag space, because that's very much their mindset in terms of, okay, and now I'm really good at the base business, how do I augment it or how do I kind of move it into uh, a little bit more efficient way. So I see a big parallel in terms of what you've what you've just described. Can you just just so that we are all on the same sort of level playing field, can you give us a little definition or an overview of what you um you mean when you talk about ag tech and you talk about the technology component, what what does that mean specifically? Yeah, great. Another great question because it, yeah, ag tech just is often it's used so often. Half the time, I'm not sure what other people are talking about. So right, let's define right. it. All right. Yeah. Um, I would break it down into probably four categories and progressively 
more developed. So I'll kind of start with the one that's least developed and then I'll sure. kind of tack two on at the end that are you know a little bit different. But when people say ag tech, I mean, you can be mindful of them. So the first one I would say is robotics. And that's hmm. at a relatively low maturity level in the sector uh, yeah. relative to other sectors. So that would be using robotics to prefer perform critical, call it farm tasks, harvesting, pruning, weeding, scouting with drones, sorting, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. So robotics is one. Um, second would be machine learning, uh, artificial intelligence. We bundle those together. Yeah. Um, that's relatively low maturity area, but it is right. coming up the curve. It is absolutely relevant to all the business problems. It's really the technology that helps you interpret dynamically and adapt to the environments around you. So unlocking the potential of supporting these robotic technologies. So first kind of have to have the, the AI and the ML, if you will. Yep. Moving up the chain, we go to the internet of things. Think of that mm -hmm. as like sensors, yep. right? So yep. that's at medium maturity. Um, that's where you, your sensors can help you for, or keep you from overwatering, right? Or can... Right help you predict frost, for example, or monitor pests or treat animals' health more effectively using these sensors. And then the fourth one, I would say the one that's most developed that probably most people are talking about when they say ag tech is this precision farming. And essentially what precision, that. yeah. yeah. So yeah. precision farming, essentially what it means is instead of looking at my entire operation, and applying generalities to it, I'm gonna look at my individual plant or my individual animal or my individual field. Mm. That's what they mean by precision farming. So getting down to the more individual level that you can have tailored treatments that will both reduce waste, improve overall quality of production, that kind of thing. And so precision farming usually refers to crops, but it's equally applicable to the animals to the orchard, etc. That's the concept, anyway. Of precision. And and so so the idea would be like let's just so we have some we have some cattle and we have one yeah. sick cow. We can yeah. treat the sick cow without affecting what we would do to the rest of the healthy cat the healthy cows. Or right. vice versa, we could make you know if the baseline is everybody's doing well, but these guys genetically could do even better. We could target selectively target treatments to either provide or withhold as it as it you know pertains to the grain or to the plant or to the animal um, to, to get differing and ideally optimized results as opposed to a one-size-fits-all um, kind of kind of treatment so very much like we do in the school system of having individualized learning programs or learning plans we can optimize uh, in at the individual level in our farming business Right, right, exactly. You've got that exactly right. And you can think about it from uh, two angles. One would be a cost control. So for example, if the animal is not healthy, is not faring well, then you might stop feeding it. Like you might move it through right. the journey a little bit faster than the others because it's just potentially going to be wasted inputs, we'll say. And right. you can also look at it from, I loved your comment on, but if they genetically are capable of more, then how do we get more out of them? So that'd be the animal, the plant, the field, whatever the case may be. Yeah, so going both ways, both in terms of risk management, cost management, as well as um, optimal production. That's the concept of precision farming. 
Yeah, and I can I can totally see how tech has a really big component in that because of like you talked about the sensors or you talked about the sort of selective you know the ability to selectively identify whatever you're looking for the disease or the you know genetic strength or the genetic weakness there's obviously like you don't just visibly look and be like oh okay I've I've picked out the one right you need some sort of science based technology to help you at least initially make that identification and then you know optimize from there so i think that's a really good example of how technology uh you know is is uh is helping to move that field along well and not to get too technical but there is also been a of course a stage of development of technology within that precision farming category right. and that would be you know in the mid 90s we'll say as our gps constellations are coming together then you could get two dimensional geospatial data right, related right. to your fields right? right and then in the early 2000s we started to have these sensor based data so the internet of things comes on mm -hmm. the scene okay so now i've got sensors that are telling me that this field is dry or i'm having a disease outbreak here or you know that kind of thing is happening and what's coming on now is these visioning systems that can be coupled with robotics so that you can actually do something about all this data right it's one right. thing to say well that field is dry and i don't right. have an irrigation system in it so what the heck am i going to do that's not very helpful so Correct. it's one thing to take <laughs> the data but turn it into actionable um you know response to the data and that's where technology is continuing to evolve over time and and then i also think that once you've done that you have and, and you've taken a corrective step or you've implemented a measure you then can use the technology to monitor and make sure that you know you're 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 moving towards the goal whereas yeah. before i think it was a little bit more a little bit more hit and miss like oh i'll implement this and i hope it's going to work out but i don't necessarily have the tools for the visibility or you know any of those things so i think yes the identification but then the ongoing monitoring as well um become important as well well and great point a couple of stats here that just tell us the pace of change as we know it's fast but the stats i've got are it says by 2023 35% of farms will have drones monitoring and wow. managing crops so wow. maybe people will be surprised oh it's not more than that but i think there's been a lot of issues with getting drones up in the air sure. and that kind of thing so 35% that's pretty good adoption i would say and then by 2025 only a couple of years far. from yeah. now 45% of ag equipment will have these iot sensors that will wow. help with yield mapping and record keeping and sort of you know feeding information back to the mothership system if you will so i mean 35 45% that's a lot well and the 10% incremental shift in 2 years is also enormous right Yeah. Between 2023 yeah. and 2025, that's a that's a hockey stick curve. Yeah, for sure. What are some of the obstacles that we see with the continued adoption of technology? So we just talked about how that's going to continue to accelerate what what do we have to be wary of as we continue to evolve in the technology sector and this is kind of at the large scale level there are lots of different technology options as you mentioned right you go oh, i've got an issue i'm going to go out and i'm going to find a a product a program a platform something that starts with a p that's going to help me 
yeah. a partner, right? <laughs> right. That right. helps me with that. One of the big issues within and amongst all of those partners, products, platforms, et cetera, is there's a lack of standardization. Right. So there's a lot of industry specific modeling and, and data naming conventions differ. You know, one company calls it this another calls it that, which really uh, makes it difficult to make these products, et cetera, talk to each other and, and get to that kind of elevated level. So that's a big challenge. Um, that mm-hmm. does get easier as you go downstream. So barcoding, serialization, yep. those things have been standardized, but we're still not quite there at the, at the, at the P level. <laughs> yep. um, another really practical one is I call it analog or dark zones across the supply chain. So there are still yep. many, many areas where information is analog. It's not digitized. You'd be amazed at how many fax machines are out there. That is a real issue because the technology is there available, but can it actually be brought where it needs to be? And lots of great, uh, lots of great attention on that, I think, from the government and some big players out there. Um, and, you and know, I think I lots of funding opportunities to help solve that problem. I think that there's some, you know, some funding streams and some grants and some innovation that is is specifically targeted to that because I think you, as you've identified, it's a homogenous problem across a number of different areas and multiple players are trying to solve that. So mm-hmm. I think there is some opportunity to, uh, you know, to if you, if you want to put your thinking cap on and solve that, I think there's some opportunity for sure to do that. Mm-hmm. Another really practical one is just the unspecified value capture. What I mean by that is there's all yeah. kinds of ambition around the digital journey in agriculture, and there's a lot of potential to produce repeatable high-end value, but the analytics to date have been mostly in that descriptive category. So that journey needs to continue a little bit further so that it's not just telling me what's happening. I can actually do something about what's happening. Part of this is that not all of the types of data that would be considered major variables in the decision-making are being collected. So right. if you need 10 major sources of data, maybe we're only collecting three or four, and that's not quite enough to get us there. So we need a little more time for the technology to mature. I would say <clears throat> from a legal perspective, one of the issues that we see arising out of that data capture lag that you're that you're describing is let's say going to your example, maybe there's 10 elements and we're only sort of accurately capturing three or four of them. You are advertently or sometimes inadvertently introducing bias by eliminating or not capturing those other six in this example, those other six categories, or by over-relying with your sample size on the three or four that you've captured. And so what does that do from a bias perspective and what kind of decisions from a governance perspective are organizations then making based on either, you know, over-relying or not having access to some of those other factors, which is a bit, you know, is a bigger problem and kind of moves up the food chain to the board level and those things. But I think it, it, it falls out of what you've, uh, what you've just said and what we're seeing certainly from a from a legal perspective and boards are trying to think about innovative ways to try to address that or to limit their liability based on you know what they're what they're capturing and what they can't capture at this point well and you've just made me think of another one and that would be so another challenge or obstacle to the the adoption of technology governance so 
Yep. Call it digital citizenship, right? Privacy, right. you would see. Oh, of course. Uh, data yep. security, sharing data, cybersecurity, all of that kind of stuff that is very much top of mind. So at the at the large organization level, that's a key obstacle. I would say at the at the producer level, the biggest obstacle is risk backstop. Meaning, right. I mean we don't have enough food to go around in the first place. What the last thing we need to do is, you know, have a catastrophic event because technology doesn't work or doesn't do what it says it's supposed to do or, or you know, does something unintended. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and where are the programs that backstop that risk that can foster the adoption? So I would say that is a that is something at the policy level that requires further consideration because it is different, I think, in ag than it is in in other businesses. Um, just such a critical part of our for world. sure. And and there's an analogy. It's not a perfect anal. It's not a perfect analogy, but there's an analogy about you know in in many industries that we see <clears throat> where people, you know, one of the risk mitigation strategies they use, of course, is insurance. And what can you get? What kind of insurance can you get that's affordable? What kind of insurance makes sense? And what what kind of risk are you trying to mitigate through? you know, through insurance or through other measures. And I think that we, we certainly have worked with some insurance providers who are, are very focused on the ag business, on the ag tech, and they have some of that, you know, specialization and, and expertise in that. Uh, and certainly when you talk about how do you sort of mitigate, manage risk, I think you want to make sure that you're talking to some advisors who have some, some special knowledge in that, because as you say, there's only so much that you that you can really mitigate away. Talking about, um, I'm, I'm going to shift a little bit, talking about sort of risk mitigation and, and the idea of <clears throat> using advisors who are experts in, in this area. What kind of obstacles can we, lawyers, accountants, insurers, what kind of obstacles can we help break down? What kind of uh, tools can we provide to businesses in this ag space uh, that may not be sort of top of mind for everybody uh, in terms of what you're seeing in your shop. And, you know, maybe maybe I can comment a little bit what, what we're seeing um, to help people in this space and, and, and move forward. And how can we help reduce the barriers to access those for people in this space? Well, one of the things that's near and dear to my heart is influence over policy. And again, yeah. in my intro, I didn't I didn't share this, but I am the chair of the advisory council for the Simpson Center, which oh. is an ag and food policy research center in the School of Public Policy at the University of Calgary. That's a long, long intro, but you know, basically, I I think that we have a role to play in helping our policymakers understand what good policy looks like and understand what it takes to unlock the true potential of the Canadian ag sector. Yes, yep. it's worthy of investment. Uh, yes, investment is required, but let's make sure we're getting the right kinds of investment in the right places. So that would be one that's, um, like I say, near and dear to my heart. Um, the other one generally, I would say, is helping our entrepreneurs and our larger clients see around the corner. So understand that if, if they're, you know, passionate about a great idea that they have, it probably is a great idea. And let's get, you know, down to call it the brass tacks of where the challenges and the issues are going to be sooner in the cycle, because then we can iterate, get over them, get around them, you know, shift the planning a little bit. I think there's a lot 
a lot of value in that. So the kinds of things that we've been talking about today, which if, if they're not already known, they should be, right? Both for the, the large consumers of yep. the technology and the smaller ideators, entrepreneurs of the technology solutions. Um, and then there's a very tactical level where, you know, we mentioned our tax crossover, you know, making sure that things are done as well as they can be done so that the skeletons in the closet are, right. are small <laughs> and they stay in the closet. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. everything from the very macro down to the very micro, just generally being a solid business advisor from the various perspectives that we bring. Yeah, I agree. And I would I would just expand on that a little bit that if much like I sort of commented on in my women-owned businesses that start off as service businesses and then sort of move inadvertently to the, the tech field, sometimes the way you structure your business needs to evolve a little bit to recognize that there's different or additional risk by moving into a particular area or you want to isolate your intellectual property, for example, and you, you want to have, you know, if you're doing any cross-border work with, with your IP that you've thought about transfer pricing and you thought about some of those very practical things that might not otherwise come up in how you run your day-to-day -day business. And I think that it's uh, it's always good. It's like a little checkup to think about, is my structure optimized for what I currently do and where I, where I think I might be going? And then some of the, you know, the, it goes with that. Some of the, you know, the scientific research credits that are available that, again, might not be top of mind for day-to-day, -day, you know, farmers, but is very applicable. And maybe there's some preferential tax rates that you can get if you if you structure your company in such a way. And, and often, as you know, it's a very minor change. It seems big, like let's put a holding company or something in place. It, it, it isn't that big of a deal. Um, but there are there's a right time to do that. And sometimes there's a not so great time to do that. And so, you know, I always encourage people to just think about that maybe on an annual basis and just do a little bit of a checkup. And, and then the other thing that I will add from a legal perspective, and you touched on this, which is things like privacy policies and things like the, you know, the data, you know, personal information and making sure that you have proper policies at a, at a corporate level. Um, before you start expanding into into other jurisdictions and just knowing what what it is you don't know and uh, trying to stay stay on top of that. So I think, as you say, sort of those very basic things um, are really important. Yeah. The only thing I would add to that, which is a great a great overview, is incentives. And you referenced Correct. it earlier. There are a lot of incentives out That's there, right. depending what jurisdiction you're in. You know, it's, right. ag is right in the middle of, of all things, right? Sustainability, right. energy, there's a lot that can be tapped into there. So that's another one. Excellent. Is there anything else that we haven't touched on that you would love to tell us about your experience and your insight into the ag tech sector? You know, I just like to kind of cap it off going back to where we started and that is yeah. that the ag sector is in my opinion bias already stated it is absolutely key to our economic both past current and future and so i see two things that need to move in parallel one is informed policy making again yep. my bias was previously stated as well as technology ad uh, technology adoption and yep. i see the two of those going hand in hand so i would say we need two things we need to incent our producers to try new things where the value proposition still requires some development 
and we need to support producers to accelerate adoption where the value proposition is clear. And both of these require really thoughtful and informed policy support with that opportunity for policy to accelerate Canada into that stratosphere of a global leader in the tech sector or in the ag and ag tech sector, I should say. Well, that was very well articulated and very well, well said. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us and we look forward to continued collaboration and we hope we can help lots of people in the ag tech sector and in Canada and beyond. Sounds great. Thanks, Heather. Thanks so much. Thank you.